Morning Restoration Church. Um, probably sound like a broken record for saying this, but it's always a um, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to come before you and uh, to share my heart. So I just want to thank you for that. Um, when Ryan reached out and offered the opportunity for me to share, I jumped right on it. It's been a while since um, I've been able to preach and just share my heart, but more so just the portion of scripture that we're going to be resting in today. Uh, maybe resting is not the right word. We're going to be uh, we're going to be dealing with some things today, so I hope it's challenging for you. I hope that um, what God has put on my heart will really move you and move your heart in a way to where you get closer with with Jesus through your story, through the miracles He's worked in your life and um, and the lives of those around you. So I just wanted to share that for uh, the last few months, um, me and Kim have been kind of on this this crazy journey we've been walking through, I say walking through, we've, we've been re-watching um, the Marvel movies in sequential order. And I don't know if you guys are fans of that, DC, whatever, I don't care, but uh, we've been re-watching these Marvel movies and uh, a few nights ago we finished. And you know, I have to say there was a moment where it kind of hit me at the end of how invested that we have been and how we slowly saw like all these things tie together again after watching in like sequential order and um, more so just how we were how we've been entertained over these last few months as we were on this journey this movie journey that we were on and mind you we've seen all these before as you probably have as they've come out so you know there were there were moments that we saw that we laughed at for the tenth time, and there was, you know, still these these uh, moments of anticipation, even though we knew what happened at the end of the movie, and you know, it just was crazy that there were even moments that still brought us both back to tears at the same time. Um, you know, seriously, like, have you ever watched Endgame? Um, I don't know if you have, but if you got through it without crying, you were you're totally soulless. Okay, I'm I'm just saying that. I'm not kidding. Um, but you know what, I'm going to be that guy and I'm going to have to go there. So here we are, we are, um, we're, we're on this journey and we're watching these fictional characters that have moved our hearts so much by their acting abilities and, um, you know, they're bringing us to tears and I mean, I'm, I'm like sucking air back crying, just as ugly, ugliest cry that you can think of, right? And, uh, let me set the scene that kind of, um, that brought me to this moment. Like I said, this is a major spoiler, so go ahead and you know, turn, turn the podcast off or, or whatever it's called, man, the video feed, uh, because I'm going to ruin Endgame if you haven't seen it. You've had all quarantine to watch it, and I don't feel bad. The movie's been out for three or four years, all right, so get with it. So, Spider-Man, it's the end of the movie. Again, like I said, spoiler alert, put it all around the screen. It's the end of the movie, and Spider-Man is kneeling down at Iron Man's feet, and he's all beat up. He's, you know, mostly burned and exploded in the whole nine and and he kneels down and he says um we won mr stark we won you know just in this kind of whimpering kid voice and um then he's moved to the side and that's iron man's wife comes over and she's kneeling down next to him and it's just this real somber moment where like i said i could share it right now um but in the moment of watching it sitting with my wife i looked over and we both are like crying right um it's a bunch of babies and um she says, we're going to be okay now. Um, we can rest. And like I said, and he, and he dies, right? And you're just like, you're sucking in. You're like, oh, God, this is the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life or ever seen in my life, you know? And maybe I'm not telling it with the, the force or, or or with the acting that 
it gives it that whoa, but it was a total tear-jerking moment, like I said, if you've seen it. Again, like I said, now I gotta be this guy. You know, me, you, um, we all get wrapped up in, in other things that vie for our attention and our affection. Let me say that another way. We get, um, we get distracted. We get pulled, tricked. Um, we, we put energy into these other things. And um, honestly, I think it just takes us away from God. It takes us away from relationship with other people. It takes us um, away from things we could be doing to benefit the kingdom instead of um, just wasting time, right? You know, uh, I mentioned to Kim the other day as, as um, you know, I was preparing for this, I really started thinking about how moved I was by a movie. And like I said, I'm going to be that guy, you know, go ahead and just, you know, do the, ah, here he goes, right? Um, but I mentioned to her, that it was like, I can't remember the last time that I read the Bible and I was moved to tears. Um, but I can see a movie I've seen 10 times and still cry at the same scene, you know? You know, I, I can... Maybe there's something about acting. Maybe there's something about the moment or the experience that, that brings this flow of, of emotions, you know. Uh, I mean, I could think of other, uh, other things in my life, other moments in my life that would do the same thing, um, like a certain person passing. Uh, if I'm really dwelling on that and thinking on that, I could almost be moved to tears again by how much I miss them or, or um, you know, just the lack of contact we had prior to that. Um, I think about catastrophe, man-made or natural um, how when, you know, something shocking happens and it's, it takes you back for a moment, you're like, man, how could we behave that way in humanity? Or, or how could something like that happen? You start to wonder, um, you know, proposing to my wife or my wedding day is another day that's uh, another memory or a moment that has moved me or milestones that we've celebrated. Or uh, how about this one, the day that Jesus wrecked my life? Um, I've been saying that for years, man, because I had a plan for myself. And uh, when I allowed Christ to come in, he ruined that plan, which I'm glad he did because I'm here today and I'm able to share with you. I'm not dead and I'm not in prison and I'm not a hundred million places that I could be other than being here today. Um, but when I think about those moments, um, it really, really takes me back. You know, we have all these things, all these experiences, these memories and these moments, but what happens when you read the works, when you read the wonders, when you read the miracles performed by God and Jesus? And, you know, it's like times I feel like I'm reading it and it's like I'm dissecting a frog or something. You know what I mean? Like I'm so intent on trying to get something from it. I just don't take it for face value and look like, man, Jesus healed somebody or, or Jesus did this or Jesus, you know, it's like the shock and awe of reading the word has been taken away for me at times. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I'm going to move on from that. Uh, you guys know me by now. I get a little snarky when we go. Um, but you know what? I, honestly, to get back on track, I think that we've read about his death so much that we're desensitized. Um, I think we've heard stories so much that maybe they've lost their power. Or, you know, you know, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe, maybe you got it down and you got it all figured out. But I think somebody needs to hear this today. And I think more so, I need to hear this. And I need to be reminded that I've been desensitized when I read the word because I'm, I'm either looking for something or um, I don't know. You know, I'm not just reading it in awe and wonder of the fact that we have um, we have these written memories down of what Jesus did when he walked the earth and somebody took the time to do that. Um, I also think, um, you know, again, while I'm, while I'm preparing for this, you know, a lot of scriptures come to mind and 
and you know I'm like oh this and all that but but really I'm I'm an I'm an old uh, I'm an old testament kind of guy. I really love the way that God spoke to the prophets and the prophets in turn spoke to the people and it just really um it just moved me in a way. So as I was preparing for this and I was thinking about my, you know, desensitization. Let's see if we can get that word out, man. Ooh, have that blast on the screen real quick. But I'm thinking about how I've been desensitized, right? And um, Jeremiah 2 popped into my head. Jeremiah was one of my favorite prophets. And, and uh, you know, the Lord is, is speaking to him and says, I remember the, devo the devotion of your youth. Um, how as a bride you loved me, as you, how you followed me into the wilderness. Man, I remember when I first got saved, you know, and, and everybody was right. They said, give it a while and, and your fire is going to die down. And I remember saying, man, if my fire dies down, then, then why even continue? You know, and here I am, you know, not saying that, that my fire is totally burnt out, but it's, you know, I've been hurt and, and, you know, I've allowed things to get in my way and I've, I've put things over God and, you know, and sometimes I'm just at a spot right now where, you know, again, I'm asking myself, like, how do you love me? How how can I be in awe of of what you've done and what you're doing when I'm continuing to behave and act the way that I'm acting? I don't know. Like I said, maybe somebody needs to hear that today, but that's how I feel. Um, that's how I feel right now. Just unworthy to be able to deliver the word. Um, unworthy to sometimes love on people. You know, and, and waiting for that, that healing to come, waiting for that moment to come, that reminder that, that God still loves me and God will still use me. And I think in those moments we get desensitized too. Um, but just to be reminded that, you know, that God is good even when we don't feel it. Amen. Um, you know, I need to be reminded that we are privileged enough to to, to have the word and, and uh, you know, that we're privileged enough to be able to gather that we're um, that we're free in this country and we can worship like we are this morning or on any morning. Um, you know, that that we can relive the moments of Jesus' teaching through the Word of God and, and we can see His power against the, ignorant, the ignorance of the religious and, and against the elements and, yes, even against the spiritual matters like a demon-possessed man that we're about to read about right now. And, you know... Um, Honestly, like I think I've already hit on a little bit, but I do want to say that I feel like we're desensitized. Like I have to keep saying that word over and over again. And a lot of that is due to this Western influence, like where we live right now. Um, pop culture or whatever defining buzzword that you want to use or, or you know, we're, we're influenced on the way we see the world by what lens we wear, um, by our own experiences and more so by the expectations that we put on God hard stuff so let's uh let's jump in even though we're already knee deep <laughs> uh these 20 verses that i'm going to be reading uh to you this morning is is of a man that was so disturbed um that what has a hold of him what's bound him uh, or has, has caused people to bind him and to shackle him and to cast him away from everyone else for their protection like they didn't have it in it to kill him um and this this banishment wasn't to torture him because obviously um, he was being tortured already. You know, it was honestly there was nothing that they can do to help him, and so they abandoned him. And um, dude, that's when I think about that. I think about a lot of people in my life where, in my own will and in my own strength, I was trying to help him, and I had to give up on him because I couldn't do it. But God can, Jesus can, as we see in this portion of scripture. So I want you to get this. 
um, in your mind. But first, let me uh, let me point out something real quick of kind of where again we are as a society, as as a country, as a people of God. Is that you know when we think of demons, or at least me, uh, when we think of demons or scary things that go bump in the night, it's kind of already been done for us. You know, so when we read the word, we look at it. I think for me, like I said, I mean, I. I picture, you know, this man who's being tormented and like, so we'll get into that. But I have an image already because it's been painted for me by the greats, you know, the Wes Craven, the Freddy Krueger, the M. Night Shyamalan, the, the devil. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's yeah. um, Stephen King has painted a lot of evil pictures for us. And um, they have scared us over the years by creating images or putting images to what we fear or even creating what we could have never imagined. And and, and so doing that, um, creating new fear. Uh, but what's worse than that is when it's been made funny or desensitized. So I, I jumped on YouTube because I saw a, a video a handful of months back. And I have to admit, I laughed when I first saw it. I laughed and I think it's kind of relevant right now. It's the... Um, the Match.com commercial of, of 2020. And I don't know if you've seen it, and I'm laughing right now, and it's sad. It's honestly, it's sad because it's um, it opens up with Satan sitting in this, you know, kind of, uh, you know, movie kind of hell, you know, this sitcom kind of hell. And you can hear screaming of torment in the background, and he's sitting there scrolling through his phone, you know what I mean? Like the devil has a phone. And, uh, he gets a message on his phone and it shows that um, that he's been matched up with 2020, right? And then it shows them me, like I said, I'm laughing. I shouldn't be laughing. And I hope you guys aren't laughing right now. Um, you probably are. But, you know, uh, they meet and there's this awkward introduction. And she's like, um, hello. And he says, 2020. And she's like, you can call me 2020. And they basically go on this rampage afterwards, you know dumpster fire and you know doing this and doing that and and um it's just interesting that like you know this thing has like 1.2 million views and growing every every other day and and uh and there's all these comments like i read through some of the comments and i'm like God, i'm so glad i'm not that christian as i'm reading some of the people rebuke them and, and the things they're saying and then i had to take a step back and say well i may not be that kind of christian but i'm a different kind I'm one that's been desensitized and I'm one that laughs at something like that. I'm, I'm one that just, you know, can be more entertained by a commercial or a movie, um, can be more moved by those things than by the word of God. And so I do apologize. I'm taking a little bit of time to, to work into this. Um, but, you know, I think that as we as we walk into our time of reading the word right now, that we need to take a look at a few things or we need to think about a few things. And one is that Jesus's power and ability um, has been diminished in the minds of society today. And the second thing is that with this video, and not just this video alone, but Satan has been made personable. And those two things should be frightening. Those two, two things should be scared. So, and it was, you know, so like I mentioned earlier, uh, this portion of the Bible is near and dear to my heart. I think that it um, has a lot to do with the man that I was. And um, it takes me back to, you know, the moment where, you know, my testimony where Jesus stepped in when I was casted away, where I was bound, where I was shackled. And it was basically nothing anybody could do 
but to get rid of me so that I wouldn't harm or affect anybody else. And that's where I see this, man. This is why it's very personal to me as I read it. So uh, let me jump into um, reading the scripture. So this is the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible version. So Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 says this. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, do not torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. This is Jesus. My name is Legion, the man said, because we are many. And he kept begging for him not to send him out of the region. Now a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. And he gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and, excuse me, and entered the pigs. <clears throat> and the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported into the town and the countryside. And all the people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they begged him to leave their region. This is Jesus they're asking to leave. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him, but he would not let him. Instead, he told him, Go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he, how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis <clears throat> how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. I'm telling you, I'm reading this story, and I'm, I'm just, it's so connected with my testimony. And uh, so just want to spend a little bit of time walking through this, through my experiences and you know, like I said, hopefully God will, will speak to you guys this morning as he's already spoke to me. So I uh, just want to pray. God, we uh, God, we just pray for you to calm our hearts, to uh, calm our spirits, God, and let us just be wrapped in your love and your mercy and in your grace. Uh, Father, we thank you for, again, the privilege and opportunity to be able to meet um, God, that we're able to gather, that we're able to worship. God, that we're able to love on one another as you have commanded, but more so as you've given us the ability to. Um, so, Father, just uh, be with us in this time. Uh, God, just open our mind. God, open our hearts. Um, allow your Holy Spirit to do the work that it needs to do this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, let's jump right in. So, verses 1 through 5, we see Jesus coming over. Um, 
to the other side of the sea from a long day of teaching. And, and I'm assuming it was, you know, that, that was a, that was a day thing that was going on. You know, again, I'm going to refer back to what Ryan has said in the last couple of sermons. And uh, the last sermon was just amazing. He did a great job of just setting up the background, you know, as Jesus was where he was heading into and, and what was going to be happening in this portion of scripture now. So I won't beat a dead horse and continue to go on with all that background, but I do recommend you go back and listen um, to what Ryan said in the previous message. But again, Jesus coming on, um, coming on to the other side of the sea from a long day of teaching. And, um, you know, we know that, that they're, they're hit with the storm and the disciples are freaking out and Jesus is just chilling. And, you know, it's just like, you know, he's like, calm, shut up. Like Ryan said, I mean, how cool is that? That Jesus just told him to shut up, told the wind to shut up, not the disciples. Um, but yeah, so it's most likely, you know, preached throughout the day, throughout the night, and he's either rolling in very, very, you know, very, very early in the morning or still at night. So he's walking into the scene and, and it's dark. Um, and here comes this man screaming out of the tombs. I'm, I'm pretty sure as they were, um, as they were rowing up that they, um, they probably heard him. So again, you know, he's, Jesus is pulling up. He's got the disciples with them, and I'm sure they have some mixed emotions to what's going on. Uh, what just happened? You know, we we almost died. Um, how can this man do these things? Who is this guy? I mean, oh my God, dude, like all this stuff is going on. And as soon as they get out of the boat again, like I said, they're walking into, um, uh, essentially, you know, it's like we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. It's like they're walking into this heavily Roman influenced area um the jews like ryan said last week were hellenized which meant that they they were not following um they were not following after the one true god anymore um they had bought into the worship of other gods and and walked away from probably most of their faith if not all and this was a dark place this is a place where jesus knew he needed to go and he was gonna he was gonna stop the show um by what he was gonna do so again, we got this man coming out of the tombs and he's, he's met by Jesus. And I don't know if this is, uh, you know, I looked it up, but I, I just don't feel like this is a, you know, like when Harry met Sally or something, <laughs> something like that. But, you know, uh, this idea of them, them meeting them coming into contact with one another. And, and this is where the man had lived for, you know, who knows how long had been casted away there for so long. Um, you know, he's coming out of the tombs where he had been cast and, and bound and, you know, he couldn't be restrained and he was so, you know, he was strong. He was um, out of his mind and screaming and crying and probably, you know, scars everywhere and fresh blood running down. And I mean, again, just trying to paint this picture that this man just didn't walk out and was like, hey, look at me, I'm crazy. And Jesus was like, be gone, man. Um, he ran out and was stopped cold. You know, again, I just started thinking, like, where where were the disciples during this? At least for these next 20 verses, man, it's assumed or implied that they're still there. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But honestly, it's just like they they don't make a sound for these 20 verses. Okay, so it's this idea of, let me see. All right, here we go. So, again, Jesus has come back from challenging human scholars with his teaching. He's calmed the elements, and now he's confronting uh, the spiritual the spiritual realm on its own turf and the man sees Jesus and does the the unthinkable in my mind I mean this guy's um, this guy's a force to be reckoned with and he's proven that and so 
you know, he sees Jesus and does the, unthink the unthinkable. So I put it like this. Think about it. Every other person that he's been around has tried to subdue him, uh, to bind him, restrain him, and they eventually have abandoned him. And, you know, if this was just another one of those people, wouldn't you think that, you know, he would just run after them in a violent rage, rage and uh, or, or chase them away so he wouldn't be hurt again? But this interaction is is different. It's It's special. You know, he sees Jesus and he runs to him and, and not only just running to him, but then falls on his knees. And this just blows my mind that the, the demons have a better awareness of Christ than many Christians do. He cries out. He says, you know, um, he acknowledges, acknowledges him as Jesus, the son of the most high God, and then begs him not to be tormented any further. You know, again, I just put, I put this, I said, why is it that we tend to see more of a response when fear is the initiator and less when love is what calls us? And I just started thinking about that. This guy was, uh, or Legion was, was afraid that Jesus was going to do something. So he sees Jesus and runs to him, but not at him. And he falls to his knees. You know, this is always just blown my mind that the demons have a better awareness of Christ than we do. And uh, I've heard it argued that it's because it's a fear-based response that he fell to his knees. And again, it just makes me kind of beg the question of like, why is it that we tend to see more of a response when fear is the initiator and less when love is what calls us, right? Um, there's a movie called The Bronx Tale. I was talking with Ryan about it uh, as we were sharing, you know, I was sharing with him what I was going to talk about today and how I was going to produce it. But um you know, uh, there's this mob boss and his name's Sonny and he's sitting down with this young kid who idolizes him. And there's a quote in that movie that's kind of just carried me through a lot of my life, even my Christianity after I heard it. And he says, he says, Sonny, is it better to be loved or feared? And Sonny's response is this. He goes, that's a good question. It's nice to be both, but it's very difficult. But if I had my choice, I would rather be feared because fear lasts longer than love. Again, going back to being desensitized as a as a nation, as a as a people, as um, even just in our faith, thinking about what I learned as a kid, it was a very fear driven relationship with God. Like, don't do this because He'd punish you. And I still think that you know, here I am, you know, 15 years later of knowing Christ and being saved and and trying to do ministry and and, and trying to grow in relationship that. I still find it hard that he loves me through every one of my mistakes. And like I say, you, you may have figured that out. You may have that going, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's just me. And that's where I struggle. And, and it's true that fear does last longer than love, man. It's just one of these, it's one of these things. Um, again, just something to think about, um, in verses 11 through 17, uh, you know, these next verses raise, I put, you know, raise some, some different, some questions in different circles. So um, I just want to take it for face value. I want to read it for what's happening. I want to let the word just be the word and, and take it and, and move from there. So, I mean, you guys can do some dissecting later if you want. Um, but here's what's going on. Jesus is engaging a conversation with Legion. And um, this is, you know, a demon horde. Um, it's, that's a self-admitted name. Legion is asked to be sent into the pigs, and Jesus gives them permission. The unclean spirit enters the pigs, they run down, they die, and the pig tenders is what I call them, right? Kind of like bartenders, but pig tenders, 
they run off and they tell everybody what happened town and countryside they're just running their mouths and then everybody shows up and this is what they walk into the person that they had casted away that some have probably bound with their own hands that had shackled them with their own hands that had probably defended themselves as this man was wildly violent and attacking them um they see him in his right mind they see him that he's dressed they see um and they were afraid of that which blows me away like i think i'd be rejoicing if i saw but hey i don't know and um so they all show up and they find jesus and the one that they've casted away they find that he is in his right mind that um he is dressed and it says they were afraid now here's the moment where i think the disciples step in now, the fact that he's now clothed is a glimpse that they were probably still around because it doesn't say jesus took anything off so um, I'm assuming the disciples were there and they took care of that part of it. Um, but this idea of being afraid, I looked into it and was like, this fear was not out of reverence or awe for who Jesus was or what he did. This was kind of, it says in the word, um, as I broke it down, this is the kind of fear that gets people moving. Uh, roughly translated, this is a terror stricken fear. It was as if they were more afraid of Jesus, these townspeople these these uh countryside people were more afraid of jesus than they were of the person that they casted away and i thought that was uh that was mind-blowing the townspeople are doing their their research and once the pieces are put together they realize this is that legion whom they were able to send away even if they had to do it multiple times has now been sent away by somebody more powerful and now they're begging jesus to leave you know, I wondered if they had ever started begging Legion to leave, but I doubt it. I, I don't think they did. I think that with all the pagan worship and the rituals that were going on there, um, there was a level of acceptance or, or you know, even dismissal on their part uh, uh, to accept those things. Um, but I think Legion had worn out his welcome and um, moreover, so did Jesus. And so he was asked to leave. In verses 18 through 20, you know, I wanted to say it like this is that, when a true miracle from God takes place, you will most often see those that have misguided expectations on God on how and who he should save. Let me say that again. When a true miracle from God takes place, you will most often see those who have misguided expectations on God of how and who he should save. You know, there's nothing more powerful than a changed life by Jesus that has lived out in the very context that has ousted him. Think about what had happened here. You know, I've noticed in my own experience that when I tell my story of God working the miracle in my life, it is, it's dismissed as that was your experience or that was your understanding of what happened or even patronized by saying, yeah, that's good. It worked for you when I share my story. Uh, but can you imagine, here's Jesus telling this guy that he needs to go back into the very place that he was casted out, you know. And, you know, Jesus is in the boat, tells the guy, look, dude, you know, you just had, <laughs> you, had a th you had thousands of spirits leave his mind and body, 6,000 to be exact. All he had never, ever known, according to what scripture says, is that he had been tormented and rejected. And he's begging to be with the one person who showed him love, but also the power to deliver him. And Jesus says, no, you know, we don't like to hear no from Jesus. And this is one of those times in scripture where he, he says it. And, and I think, uh, you know, those times of where we hear that, no, 
and we sit in it and we're, we're stubborn and we're angry and we don't move forward or we move to the place we wanted to go anyways. And we find ourselves there however long. And God's like, you know what? You're suffering where you're at right now because I, I told you no. So this man moves forward. He, you know, Jesus tells him, go back home to your own people. Report, man. Inform them. Educate them what the Lord has done for you. And, and this mercy that's been given to you, you know, and I looked up mercy and it says it's a divine quality by which God faithfully keeps his promises and maintains his covenant relationship with his chosen people, despite their unworthiness and unfaithfulness. So think about that as this guy tells, as he's telling Jesus, he's going to go back, man, this is, this is my commitment to my covenant relationship with you. This is my commitment to my promises and you know what? You are unworthy and you are unfaithful, but I'm still going to be faithful to you. So he went and did as he was told. And he went into the 10 cities, the Decapolis, and he proclaimed what had been done for him. And it says that they were all amazed. Now, I want to look at this for just a minute. And I'm wrapping up right now is that this man went back to where he was cast away. They they knew him. Many of them probably subdued him, like I've said, like they'd abandoned him. They'd left him for dead. And now he's back standing in front of them, telling them that as a, a man has come with power and dominion over the elements and over the spiritual realm. And they were amazed because they knew him and they saw the change. I want to tell you a story real quick. I, I met this guy named David and David was called Raj, that was his nickname. Some of you in the church got to meet him. I brought him around a little bit. And, you know, as I got to know Raj, he would constantly say, he goes, you know what, Gabe, you're, you're, you're just, you're a good person. And I would, I would immediately come back and say, no, man, it's, it's because of God, dude. It's good. Nah, nah, no, it's not. I mean, he wouldn't accept it, wouldn't believe it. It was, I was good. I was good of my own strength. I was good of my own power. I was good of my own doing. And those were the conversations we had. Um, you know, there'd be times where Raj would come by and, and after everybody would take off, he would, you know, stay a little later. And by then he would be intoxicated and and he'd be talking about suicide. Uh, he'd be talking about killing himself. And, and I just felt it was my duty to stay up with him till one, two, three in the morning and, and you know, try to talk to him. And the end of every one of these conversations, he would just say, um, you know, man, you're a good person. You're a good person. And I would tell him again, I was like, nah, bro, it's because of God. You know what I mean? You think I want to stand here because I'm good? You think I want to hear this stuff because I'm good? No, I'm standing here because I'm trying to give back an ounce of what's been given to me. Um, I'm serving as God has called me to serve. Um, but he would just constantly dismiss it and say, it's got nothing to do with God. It's you. You're a good person. You know, this is something I've come to see firsthand in full circle is that, um, you know, as my relationship with God has grown and changed and as my relationship and what I feel and think about the church as a whole has changed. Um, you know, hanging out with different groups outside of the church and in the church. And, you know, I honestly, for a while there, saw a group of good people. And I started buying into this lie myself. I'd look over at somebody and it's like, man, this person does something. And, and, you know, as far as I know, doesn't have Jesus in their heart. And I would look over and watch them do these good things. I was like, man, I don't even want to do those, those things. And I have Jesus in my heart. So, you know, maybe there is a such thing as just being a good person. Um, you know, but like I said, the one thing I've realized, man, is after watching them and, 
and subscribing to that for a little bit is that it's a matter of time. Um, I don't even know what to say. Um, it's a matter of time that that person, um, their, their will and their strength and their ability to be good fades. And all they're left with is what they've done. I think I'd rather move forward in, in the Holy Spirit and I'd rather make mistakes and know um, that the things I'm doing are given through um, the inspiration of what God is telling me to do and um, through the gifts that God has given me so that I can't take credit for anything and I give um, I give all glory to God. But, you know, there's something that, you know, God does in and through us when we receive the Holy Spirit, something that makes the world take notice of us for good or bad. And, um, you know, something that marks you. And I think this is what happened to this man. He was he was healed and he went to share the message, but more so he was he was living it. Um, you know, I, I just I can't imagine this man in going into the streets. One of the men that failed at restraining him, seeing him thinking, oh, no, here he comes. Right. And and all he'd ever known of this man was rejecting him and restraining him. And now he's free and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I do want to share one more story. But I remember I had just become a Christian and I was asked to speak at a uh, homeless shelter. And I remember going there and I, I didn't really like the setup because um, they made these men who had been out, men and women been, that had been out on the street all day. Um, in order for them to get in, get a shower, get a bed and get some food, they essentially had to sit and listen to a 30 minute sermon. And so that made me feel real good about showing up, kind of like you guys sitting there today. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, so I'm there and, and I'm speaking and I'm watching people that are disengaged and that they don't want a part of it. And they are just thinking about being clean and thinking about eating and um, thinking about laying down. And so I just share a little bit of my testimony. And as I'm talking in the very back of um, this auditorium is an African-American man. Um, and I recognize him and he's limping up um, to the front uh, and, and takes a seat. Uh, I'm looking at this man, which I had known for years. I was in prison with him. And during the time I was in prison, I was kind of, you know, the leader of my gang. And we we connected with the African-American group, the black group. Um, and basically, like, this guy heard me talk a lot. And so he's sitting there staring at me. I finished my story. Everybody takes off. And he's sitting there. This guy's name was uh, Five was his nickname. I don't remember his real name to save my life, so I'm sorry. But Five comes up and says, um, they didn't make it mandatory for me to come to this today because I got shot two weeks ago. So I was homeless and I got shot and some stuff went down. And, uh, once I got stable, they moved me back here and they were letting him get healthy. And so he said he was laying in bed, gunshot wounds. And he said, he just kept hearing my voice and he kept saying, there's no way, there's no way that that's game. Well, and that's what drew him out was hearing my voice. And he sat there and just looked up at me, just kind of awestruck. And, and um, because of the things that we did when we were in prison and, and the way that he saw me lead and um, the kind of person that I was when I was there. And um, he was just blown away. And so it was one of those moments where uh, I felt like it was this, you know, I have a lot of similarity with the stories that I was standing in front of somebody that's seen me do some of the worst things I've ever done in my life. But he was hearing a different tone from me. He was seeing a different different stance, um, a different approach to life. And so that was a, that was a blessing. It was a blessing to get to do that. So, 
Um, oh man, yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say other than um, I think about the story. I think about Jesus coming into an area where um, most people would have ran away. I think about him confronting, meeting a man who um, people had casted away and were hiding from and didn't want him around and and how he loved on him in his power and in his strength and in his might and performed the miracle that he did. And I, I think about how the people responded first to the way, you know, Jesus handled things and secondly to this man coming back and, you know, asking Jesus to leave and this man being a witness um, in his in, in his area now. And um, man, what it would be to be a fly on the wall and see what that reconciliation looked like, what um, what does life look like afterwards? But this is what we have to go from, and and this should be enough. This is enough. It's more than enough. So um, thank you guys for letting me share. I hope that you got something out of this, um, my rambling, my rants. And uh, I love you guys and look forward to fellowshipping with you again soon. God bless.